Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Yes, indeed. Ben Jarofsky back here again. This is called bonus material. Oh, yeah. State controller Susanna Mendoza is in the studio. D, what do we always say about Susanna Mendoza when she comes in the studio? Oh, we have a little name for it. It's actually called... <laughs> The Mendoza Report. All right. All right, Susanna Mendoza's yes. back. Uh, back when I had the old show, before I was ceremoniously thrown out in the alley and beat up and left for dead, uh, Susanna Mendoza was a regular on my show. And um, throughout the 2017 year and into 2018, she'd come on, and those fists would be flying going at uh, <laughs> Governor Bruce Rauner. Uh, we shared a passion, I think that's safe to say, Susanna, to see uh, Rauner defeated. Yep. Uh, and because uh, I'm uh, just speaking for myself here, I thought he was doing a great disservice to the state of Illinois, uh, taxpayers, schools, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, that happened uh, in November when uh, J.B. Pritzker won. The last time you were on the show, though, was right after that, I think, and you announced you were going to be running uh, for uh, mayor. Mm-hmm. And uh, the issue at that time was whether you would prevail uh, in the co- uh, in the ballot access challenge that Tony Preckwinkle was waging against you. Uh, and then, of course, I disappeared and now I'm back. Yeah, I think I was supposed to do an interview with you like that week or you were calling. I think you actually called our team to set up an interview and we were moving forward with that when we heard the bad news. And yes, you heard the bad news. that is exactly the Right case. after <laughs> setting up the interview, as a matter of fact, I think. I'm sorry about that, man. I'm not blaming you. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> no, and you were one who went on Twitter, too, to, uh, you know. Yeah, I actually got a petition going for yeah, you. Yeah. No, I no, I appreciate yeah. that. That was uh, a, with one of your supporters. Uh, it was like hardcore. Hey, yeah, Frank, how's Frank, it going, Frank? It was up in Frank. No, uh, yeah, it was. Um, I was hit off guard, to put it mildly. Uh, Susanna it was a few months ago. I've gotten time to adjust. We've all people have suffered far worse than me. So I'm gonna put that out there now. But I'll yep. tell you, what, I was that was like a blow to the stomach. But sure. Uh, well, I had one on election night too. So don't worry about it, man. We can come a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> let's just get the bottle out right is. here. Uh, wow. All right. Well, let's talk about that. The mayor's race. I missed the entire mayor's race. Uh, at least the first round. I've been around for the second round. That is for certain. Uh, but let's talk about the first round of the mayor's race. Uh, when you when you entered the race, uh, I figured you would be, uh, if I were putting money in Vegas, uh, one of the three candidates that I expected to be uh, in the finals, mm-hmm. and uh, you were not. So you know, let's let's go back and review it uh, in your mind. What went wrong? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I think it was a. Uh a whole bunch of events that kind of came out during the worst possible time after I announced my candidacy that I really, 
you know, have a, for example, the the Burke stuff and the Solis stuff that I had absolutely zero control over. And by the way, uh, was so completely distorted in terms of any iota of truth to it other than, yeah, I know those guys. And I did have uh, a strong working relationship and, and even a positive, I would say, like a friendly relationship with the Burks, for example. But, you know, when they talked about me having been married in the Burks home, you'd think I had this big blowout crazy wedding. It was like the most low scale, uh, low key, I should say, private, intimate civil service where not even most of our family was there. There were no invited guests. And it was essentially rather than doing it in the courthouse, you know, we did that uh, with Ann Burke, who is someone who I really love very much and is a is an incredible woman who started the Special Olympics. And she could have done it anywhere, but she asked to do it in her home and invited us. And we thought that was really nice. And it was really to honor my mom and dad's Mexican heritage, where there's always like a civil thing before you actually get married in the church. And we got married a week later and that was our actual wedding. But you wouldn't have known that by listening to these stories in the press, like every relationship I've ever had with any elected official that's ever gotten in trouble because I know them or have taken a picture or have worked with them, which is actually my job to do as an elected official was taken completely out of context and distorted to make it seem sinister and dirty when I'm anything but. Look, people who know me know that the only thing dirty about me is my potty mouth, which sometimes gets the best of me, you know? But other than that, I'm as clean as they come and and I've always held myself to the highest level of integrity. So it's a bummer, but these things happen and they're like these curveballs that get thrown your way that I tried to handle it the best I could. Um, and I don't know if that is really the reason, but I just think like all of these things that fell into play, right? I couldn't find my lane uh, to like break through all the clutter and all the negativity that was there. I think our ads were very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, you know, you have to be able to move the needle. And with 14 people in the race, and not to mention that I really came onto the scene with a very small um, runway, right? Where we're talking about a two-month mm-hmm. race for me, whereas everybody else had a pretty good head start. Some before uh, President Preckwinkle announced and some, you know, I came on after she even announced. So they had like a good two to three months head start on me, right? So there are a lot of things, but ultimately, you know, people decide. And it's a good thing about this election that there was, it was a democracy, right? Tony tried to knock me and Lori off the ballot, along with, uh, I think it was five women of color that she challenged, which I made an issue out of. And it's so great to see that neither I got knocked off and neither did Lori. And now Lori Life, it's going to be our next mayor. So Yay. Uh, that, uh, well, okay, so we're, we're doing this interview on a Friday. That's a prediction from Susanna Mendoza. Yeah, I, she, I'm going to uh, predict that it's going to be somewhere along the lines of like a landslide lorry. All right. Now, um, we've had this conversation, landslide lorry. We've had this conversation many times, both on the air and off the air, on the stage at the hideout, I believe. Uh, you and I have come to politics from different places. Uh, I uh, dropped in Chicago in 1981 and quickly gravitated toward the quote unquote independence. Uh, you got your start in, in large degree support uh, from the regulars like Ed Burke. Uh, it came back to haunt you in this mayor's race because mm-hmm. suddenly this guy, the most powerful man in the city of Chicago overnight became a pariah right. uh, thanks to the federal um, 
the uh, investigation and the indictment. Do, when you look back, Susanna, at the start of your career, do you have any regrets that you started off your career in an alliance with the, the Burke faction of the party, or do you feel it's just the way it was and that's how you got your access? That's the way it is for everyone even today. I mean, you never know who's going to end up getting in trouble. I and mean, you cannot possibly, forget about like get a, getting elected to office, you can't possibly govern if you close yourself off from every elected official that is currently in power today, right? So the whole point is you have to uh, not just get elected, but once elected, you have to figure out how to navigate these waters. So, you know, Lori had the advantage uh, and so did other candidates that have never been in office, but like in terms of she's the one who's now advancing to the next level, right? She had the advantage of being an outsider when all of these scandals were brewing and people were like, oh yeah, you know, there's these names that we don't necessarily know anything about them, but but we know it's sketchy right now, right? So it's easy to like jump into that bandwagon and say, anyone who's associated with these people have to go and we'll support someone who who doesn't have any association and who beats up that association. Mm. But the reality, which you will find out very soon after getting elected, is she will no longer be an outsider and she's going to have to figure out how to work with the very people who are part of the establishment, whether you like them or not, because otherwise you're just not doing your job. You actually, they are elected by the people who they represent to govern and represent their values and represent their their agendas within whatever government structure you're working in. And she's going to have to work with those people. She can't just ignore them even if she wanted to, or I guess she could, but then she won't succeed in, in being a good mayor. So it's, you know, it's easy to beat that up when you're not in it, but like anybody who's ever run for office has to work with the people that represent the area that they work in. And more importantly, if elected, have to continue to work and build relationships, not just with their own party, but as you've seen me do even across the aisle. And I'll get beat up for for working with members of the other side of the aisle too, if I was running for some position that only Democrats wanted to ever, you know, uh, control. So it, it just is the nature of the beast. Um, I can't have any regrets uh, for for having run for office and getting my start on the southwest side of the city of Chicago and being supported by people who I ultimately had to work with. And I've done a lot of great things working with um, all kinds of people, some who I don't even like, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, no regrets. And I don't regret running for mayor either. As I said on election night, you know, I think it would be worse for me to have not tried. Mm-hmm. And I would forever live with the regret of not having tried because the, the what if is so much worse than the, the what was that night, right? I mean, it's a bummer. I hate to lose. Nobody likes it. It hurts. But but I know that it would have been worse for me to live with the that little nagging question of, you know, what if I had run? Could I have won? And more importantly, it wasn't about winning. It was about leading this city mm-hmm. and doing amazing things that, you know, I thought I could have done had I had the chance. Uh, at one point, uh, you just said this earlier in, in when you were commenting, but I've, I've had conversations in the past where you've spoken very highly of Ann Burke as opposed to Ed Burke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, the, the election, the way it went down, uh, put you in a position where you had to distance yourself from Burke. You had to criticize Burke. Uh, has that damaged your your friendship or your alliance, your, whatever you yeah, want, your I mean, relationship with the Burks? I don't think the relationship will ever be the same for obvious reasons, you know, and um, and it's unfortunate. The more unfortunate thing is just how our relationship was so mischaracterized, you know. I mean, frankly, I wasn't even Ed Burke's endorsed candidate in this race. That was Gary Chico, right? But that got lost in the shuffle because everyone wanted to vilify my relationship which with the Burks, which has, you know, evolved over time, right? And, uh, and I wasn't his endorsed candidate. That was Gary Chico. Number two, he has never once in his entire career or mine 
And let's put this in perspective. I'm 46. He's been in elected office longer than I've been alive, right? <laughs> it's just so yeah. ridiculous to assume that having represented the southwest side of the city of Chicago, I would not have a relationship with him and every other elected official in that area. But regardless, in that whole entire time, and I've been in office for 18 years, he never once offered or held a fundraiser for me in his home, right? So, like, it, the irony that there was, I think, a, a FOIA request for Tony Preckwinkle's time and her schedule and who she met with. And I think she had at least 10 meetings, at least 10 scheduled meetings that have been confirmed with Ed Burke over the last year and a half or two years. And I've had zero, like the, it, it's unfortunate. But again, like I said, everything gets blown out of proportion. There are so many things that are just not true that are out there that people would just assume are true about me. And, and you just, you know, you have to be a big girl and have a thick skin, like a rhinoceros thick skin yeah, in you this have business. To uh, uh, and just move on. All right. Now, uh, let's talking about having, having to have thick skin. Uh, Tony did try to knock you off the ballot. Yep. And uh, set you back at least a week. Uh, she you, sent me, it set me back significantly more than that. And, you know, to, to her credit, that that totally um, bogus challenge, you know, did have an impact. I mean, I didn't have a lot of time to waste because I had such a a short runway. And then a lot of people got nervous, like, oh, is she really going to get knocked off the ballot, which kind of kills your ability to create momentum and raise the money that you need to raise because everyone's waiting to see what happens. And I I knew from the beginning that we had the signatures that we needed to compete. There's no way she was going to knock us off. But you've got the county board president, you know, the, the boss of the party bosses saying unequivocally that I'm going to get knocked off and so are these other women, including Lori. And you saw that it was a big fat lie. And not only that, like as bad as it was for me now, I took it to her and you heard me say like, she, I don't even want her to drop her challenge against me anymore, but she should drop them against Lori and the other women because they didn't have the resources to defend that, that challenge as much as I could, right? Said, I want people to see how big of a liar she is and how bogus this petition challenge was. But nonetheless, we won. And the worst part was actually for Lori because she had her in the Board of Elections on Christmas Eve is when the Board of Elections finally said, okay, um, Lori Lightfoot wins this one, right? And she had like 25,000 confirmed good signatures um, and they were still battling this thing out, right? It was so inappropriate. It was so wrong on so many levels. Thankfully, Tony had to concede to Lori on that night, and she'll be conceding again on Tuesday. Uh, do you, in the aftermath, do you find yourself holding a grudge against Tony Preckwinkle? No, I don't hold a grudge against her. This is politics. You know, it's not it's not beanbag. It's, it's a blood <laughs> sport. And like at the end of the day, I love sports. So you win some, you lose some. I don't hold a grudge. It's not about Tony Preckwinkle. I wasn't running against her. I was running for Chicago. And I would say that all the time, and I mean that. Um, I've never made any secret of my... Uh, lack of respect for the way President Preckwinkle conducts herself. I think that she's not what Chicago needs. Uh, she is a vestige of the past. Uh, she represents everything that's wrong with uh, politics today in Chicago, everything that we want to move away from. Mm-hmm. And it's the last thing that we need if we really want to move our city forward. So I would certainly rather put my confidence behind someone who's been untested in this arena, but who I feel in her heart is really going to look out for people and is going to try to do the right thing, who's going to realize that it's a lot more challenging once you're in 
than when you get to critique from the outside. And I think that's a fair uh, assessment or a fair critique or expectation for me to have. Um, having said that, though, you know, there's a saying, uh, like, you'd rather go with the devil that you know than the one you don't. But I just don't believe in that. I think you don't go with the devil if you think they're the devil, right? You go with someone that you think might not be and, and then hopefully get proven right that your confidence uh, should be given to them. So, again, I'm certainly not saying that Tony Preckwinkle is the devil, so I don't want to be misquoted. But what I'm <laughs> saying is that I think that she represents the past and she represents um, – you know, maybe she was a progressive 40 years ago. She's not today. All right. You were speaking in metaphor, more metaphorically, uh, and I understand that. Now, uh, there was a commercial, we played it earlier today, uh, That's but that came out where there was some several uh, young activists talking uh, about Lori Lightfoot, almost as though she were the quote-unquote devil, and they, ta- they, they drew her in very stark um, language as a person uh, who was allowing or permitting uh, police brutality to take place was unfeeling uh, in in the face of protests from the survivors of uh, police violence uh, when she was the at the head of the police board. A very powerful uh, commercial that we played and we discussed earlier in the show. Um, do you think uh, that there's some justification for that criticism of Lori Lightfoot? Well, I think that's something that Lori would have to answer. You know, again, I think that there's still a lot of unknowns. You know, we're st- even as a Chicagoan, you're kind of uh, taking a gamble on someone that you don't know a ton about. Um, but I do think that, you know, I sat through every single one of those forums. Uh, she went to pretty much every single one of the forums. I didn't make everyone. I tried to make as many as I could. But, um, but I think Lori always gave pretty honest and forthcoming answers about stuff. So this is politics. Again, people, because now she's an actual contender for this race, you're going to have people come out that didn't say a word throughout the entirety of the first part of this campaign, right? So these are... Uh, attacks at the end of a campaign that maybe should have been lobbed during the first part, which is when we were like comparing 14 candidates and their records. So this is not a new record of hers. It's a record that's been there for a while. So I'm not certainly going to defend her or, or, um, or promote it. Like mm-hmm. she's going to have to speak for her own actions. And I wasn't privy to those uh, meetings that she was in. Um, and I think that Lori, though, seems to be like someone, again, I, I hope that this is true, that she seems to be someone who listens to what people have to say. And I think that we wouldn't even have a consent decree right now if it wasn't for the work that Lori Lightfoot really hammered home and demanded and her scathing criticism of Rom's handling of, you know, the, this police stuff and, and the code of silence and so forth. So uh, I think a lot of what you've seen happen today that has advanced the cause for more transparency in the police department is as a result of Lori Lightfoot's work. And it's hard to... You can critique her all you want, but you can't deny that that's the truth. All right. Uh, you mentioned Rahm. So Rahm's uh, leaving office eight years. He's been in office. Uh, you were the city clerk the first four years, I want to say, right? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Four and then a fifth. Right. fifth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's your, just in the most general sense, your uh, your thoughts on Rahm's legacy as mayor? Um, well, I think that he's happy that he won't have to be hearing from you for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've pretty much... Uh, you know, uh, painted a legacy for him that he probably wouldn't agree with. But, you know, uh, nonetheless, I think like he did some good things. He did a lot of things that people are going to frown upon for a long time. There's still things that are happening today that I think people might frown upon moving forward. I mean, you're hearing about this Divi contract that kind of smells a little bit like the parking meter deal. Right. So I'm going to be taking a closer look at that, too, because I think, you know, we can't let these things just get like 
rubber stamped and out the door before, as you're leaving office. Like I thought it was horrible about extending the contracts for the employees that serve under his tenure right now. And I spoke out about that during the campaign. I thought, this is disgusting. Like, you don't get to do this. If you wanted to hold on to these people, then you should have run for mayor again, right? Like, yeah. you don't get to decide for the next mayor who who's going to serve under their watch. Uh, that's why people are electing a new mayor so they can make those decisions, even if it's someone that didn't want to be mayor, right? But at the end of the day, um, you know, he did a lot of good things. And he did a lot of things that, that he's going to have to sleep at night, you know, asking himself today, should I have done it differently? So um, I think you're going to hear that from anybody who's ever served as mayor. Right? Right. Well, and we'll see how history paints him in, in the long run. Because right now, there's still a lot of raw feelings out there. and there's But, you know, you always get judged by the mayor that came before you and the mayor that comes after you. And so I think that that's also going to help to the legacy is not written yet. All right. Well, one of the things that's going to help him, at least in the short term, uh, rewrite the history of his tenure in office is the Jussie Smollett or Smollett, I should say. I've been corrected many times. I've been mispronouncing the man's name. Because uh, it's smelly. Because <laughs> uh, it is smelly. The situation is kind of smelly. Uh, and uh, we'll be talking about this uh, later uh, with Andy Graham. But let's uh, your general thoughts. I know you're a citizen of Chicago. You read the newspapers and watch TV, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what's your sense of what went down, Susanna? Well, I was super ticked off, number one, because I feel like a sucker because I believed the guy when it happened, you know, and uh, and so I do. I feel like an idiot. Uh, having said that, I'm an idiot who erred on the side of believing a victim of a crime like this. It just didn't seem so outlandish to me that it could happen. But um, again, uh, so from that point, I feel duped like a lot of Chicagoans did, wanting to rally behind him and, and say there's no place for hate in this city and so forth. But having now overwhelming evidence that he, in fact, staged this whole thing himself, I mean, that's just so much worse than even what happened to him to begin with had it really had happened, right? That was something we could at least move as a city together to try to heal and stand up against. But this, this is such an insult to every single Chicago and certainly those that rallied behind him. But it's also such a, a like a black eye to our city in the whole country, everyone's watching what's happening in Chicago. And then just when you think, like, finally, okay, the police did a heck of an investigation here. They spent a ton of man hours. They really dotted every I and crossed every T. And then they come down with 16 counts, which he deserved to have that example made of him. You know, I don't care who you are. You're some rich guy who thinks that you can actually feed. It actually created greater division amongst people. Um he deserved to have those charges uh, leveled against him and then did not, we as uh, citizens did not deserve for him to decide what his own punishment was going to be and not even give an apology to the city of Chicago, have his entire record wiped clean, and then now actually be able to go on some like ridiculous uh, moral uh, press conference circuit talking about how we owe him an apology. I, I think what happened here from the state's attorney's office is a disgrace. And I do think it's terrible. And, and worse yet, you know, you do give folks like Rahm and even Donald Trump like an opportunity to be like, yeah, they're right about what they're saying, because this should have never happened in Chicago. And if anybody should have been made an example out of it, some rich guy who thinks that he can come to our city and stage some attack against himself, uh, divide our city. And it turns out it was a big lie. Yeah. And well, I. I, I agree pretty much everything you just said. And uh, the point I always make is that it undercut a very 
I, I, the I hard work that was being done with alternative sentencing. That's my yes, point. no yeah. doubt. Like, is there a place for that? Of course there is. But this was not the example of how to use alternative sentencing. Well, this if you come up, been let's a, put it this way: if you come up, let's just think about that in in the abstract. All right, if you come up with an alternative sentence. Uh, as opposed to putting the man in jail, mm-hmm. uh, which means a hefty fine that would cover the expense that we paid to have the investigation. Sure. That would have him making a um, confession in court right. and showing remorse for his crimes, mm-hmm. whether he believed it or not. Remember, he is an actor. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay, showing remorse and then doing uh, some form of court-supervised community service sure. that would be benefit. I would argue that that would be preferable to just sending another person to prison. It oh, not- 100%. Look, I don't think anyone really believed in their right mind, Ben, that this guy was ever going to see a day in jail. Like, no one believed that. Nobody expected that. The whole point was, though, that some. <laughs> Thing had to happen way beyond what happened the other day. And then on top of that, that you have a conversation with the very Chicagoans who have been impacted by this, which is our entire city, right? It's not even just the LGBTQ community, which now feels even more scared to come forward with an allegation because will they be believed or not, mm-hmm. right? It's terrible. But the entire city of Chicago went along for this, uh, this, uh, uh, you know, experience, if you want to look at it that way. And we deserved more than some backroom deal. That not even the police department that worked so hard on this investigation was privy to until some reporter found out about it. It might have even been Andy, um, you know, totally like by mistake. Right. So uh, how long would it have gone had no reporter actually been there before we would have found out that this deal was even cut? And then they seal his record right away. The state's attorney doesn't does not. Uh, appeal that or doesn't protest that like this was wrong on so many levels and i really do think there should be an investigation into how this went down all right do you have a sense of what went down i mean you've been around politics a while i've never seen anything like this i've never such a high profile case yes and and i mean first of all look had that been my employee who'd made that terrible terrible deal yeah. He'd be fired. But he's not my employee. And the state's attorney right now is defending that employee's actions, which means that's the tone that's being set from the top. I don't think that's how we should be running the state's attorney's office. And and I do think that Chicagoans deserve an explanation, a legit explanation, not like, well, people just don't understand the intricacies of the law. Well, it's your job to explain to people because I think common sense should also rule the day in what we do in government. And this doesn't make any sense to the most common person in the city of Chicago. Uh, There's a lot that was wrong here. The crazy part is we can't even discuss what those things are because this was all done behind the scenes with no involvement from the people who worked so hard to even bring these charges forth. And why bring the charges forth if the guy's gonna just decide what his own penalty is going to be and doesn't even get to apologize to the city of Chicago. All right, well you will agree with me. You will agree with me on this point. Uh, that President Donald John Trump should not get a right to call for a federal investigation into this thing until he releases the federal <laughs> investigation into himself, sure. which is now buried 100%. under. Oh, you agree with me on that point? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no doubt. Look, I, I, you know how I feel about uh, President Trump. Um, I even have a hard time calling him president, right? My point is, like, how screwed up was this situation that he's actually, though, on the right side of this one, right? Like, we should have never <laughs> let this get to a point yeah. where... Donald Trump or or Rom are are making s- legitimate points about how 
messed up this whole thing is. And I really do take offense to not just the fact that he duped us, but the many uh, police hours, man hours over time that could have been employed for families who legitimately experienced uh, violent crimes or serious uh, offenses against them that went without those services because the police were so focused on this celebrity who, who really needs to make amends with our city. So it's not just about the aspect of this, you know, celebrity getting away with something. It's who didn't get the services that the city could have and should have offered to them as a result of limited manpower going to a bad cause. All right, Susanna, now let's get back to your day job. You're a state controller. Yes. Uh, and uh, one of the things we talked about all the time when you were coming on the show uh, back in the Rauner days is the state of finances in, in Illinois. Uh, uh, the debt and uh, how much uh, money are we spending on uh, borrowing money to pay for our bills, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, so what is, in the most general sense, the state of the state in regards to finances in Illinois? So you might recall that in November uh, a year ago or so, it would have been 2018, was it? That uh 17. 2017 November, the bill backlog was as high as $16.7 billion. Mm-hmm. And then within a year, we brought it down, and today it's about $7.4 billion, $7.8, around that. It, it fluctuates from day to day. Now, how it's did you get it from $16.7 billion to $7.8 billion? Because remember, I championed that bond deal that allowed us to take uh, sell $6 billion worth of bonds that we were paying 12% interest on a lot of the debt that we were carrying, and we refinanced it. We sold them for three and a half. Percent, so that saved us about four to six billion dollars over the life of the loan, which is about twelve years. But more importantly, it allowed me to put real money into the market. We got federal matching dollars, so we took that six million and six billion and turned it into closer to nine billion, and then we brought down our bill backlog. And I've been managing it ever since. But the new budget that we passed, which, by the way, kudos to. Uh, um, Governor Pritzker for actually introducing a budget in his first year. Woohoo! This didn't happen <laughs> the bar in is four low. years in a row yeah. with with Browner, but yeah. in any event, and it was a pretty good budget. It was a good start. Um, we haven't heard a lot of critique for it being, you know, unbalanced or anything like that. And it's based on pretty realistic uh, um, expectations for revenues coming into the state. And uh, it's a good starting point, right? So the legislature, both Dems and Republicans, will now have a voice and a say in what the final budget looks like. But at the end of the day, um, it's pretty good. I would say the critique that I would have, which is natural, is just based on the fact that we still owe about $7.5 billion, and that's not accounted for in this budget because there's just not enough money. You'd have to increase taxes some crazy amount or come up or cut $7.5 billion worth of programs, which I don't think anyone wants to happen. So we're in a position where we're just going to continue to just triage that and manage that for the next few years, and hopefully every year we'll have some additional dollars that free up that we could put towards you know, bringing down that bill backlog. But for now, we're still going to have to just kind of manage a seven and a half to eight and a half billion dollar bill backlog so, every, uh, so every day. So what does that mean for people who are, are owed money by the state? means that they're still not getting paid by the state. And I'm, I'm more more or less triaging every day. So it's kind of like I think I told you before for any of your older audience that saw It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart, right? Where he's <laughs> like, everyone audience. wants their money. Yeah. Everyone wants their money. Well, that includes me, bank. by the way, right? Yeah. Everybody wants their money from the bank. And he's like, I know this is your money, but I can't give it to you. The bank will close, right? So right. this is what we're like as a state. I can't give people everything they're owed. But if there's an organization, for example, Rosalind Hospital is a, a key partner of ours because 
very often we have to come to the rescue and pay their payroll. Otherwise, they're not going to pay their doctors or their nurses or their janitors and the hospital will close down. Right. So we, we know who a lot of those entities are and we prioritize them to make sure that they can keep their lights on, that they can keep providing the services, especially to those most underserved folks like nursing homes and hospice care and children and adults with disabilities. That's really where the moral compass of our office is. We start there. And then anyone who literally is on the verge of of you know closing or missing a payroll we try to make sure that we're there for them um but it's you know it's an everyday uh toll that we're you know having to go through and it's a toil it really is but but it's important work and we're making a big difference well one of the tools that uh uh, pritzker is advocating is what he calls the fair tax a tool to basically bring down uh, this deficit, this bill mm-hmm. backlog, as you uh, alluded to, and pay all our other bills and maybe expand uh, some some services and do some road repairs, et cetera, that things have been overlooked for the last few the years. Capital plan. Uh, mm-hmm. The capital plan. The capital plan. And to do that, you, the, Pritzker believes, and I agree with him on this point, that you have to have a more progressive tax rate. Uh, that you uh, have to lower the tax burden on the, the middle class and the poor and the working class, et cetera, and make the wealthier people pay a greater share. Um, do you think we have the political climate in Illinois uh, to make that a reality? Yeah, I think if we ever did, it's probably right now this year or two. I mean, you have a new governor. There seems to be a will by... Um Uh, he's kind of enjoying a honeymoon period here, right? I mean, we don't see like a revolt going on even with the other side of the aisle. I think that the media likes to play up any kind of dissension from even one Republican. (laughs) It's like everyone is against this governor. But I'm just telling you, I've been around a long time over there and it's not like that at all. There's really like a a spirit of cooperation. And remember, he doesn't need every Republican to come along with this, right? I don't think he needs any. He no, technically, technically he probably right. would. Yeah, to get the sixty vo- or the sixty percent or whatever. You need to get yeah. a veto-proof majority. So That's you're right. going to need some Republican votes, and and I think that any governor would want to make sure that he has at least a few. So it could be a bipartisan collaboration. I guess if if you don't, you could still probably push it through with a veto-proof majority. I was going to say, but uh, that means every Democrat, yes. even in Republican districts would have to vote for it, and, and it's hard to get them. And if I know Michael Joseph Madigan <laughs> the way I know him, he is not going to sacrifice one member of his caucus to a, a hostile vote That's if he right. can avoid it. That's right. So if he has, let's say, I'll just make up State Representative Abdon Palish, who's in a swing district. Could you imagine Abdon Palish as a state representative? <laughs> uh, he is not going to force Abdon Palish to vote against uh, what he could see perceives as his right. political interest. Right. So he's going to want a Republican. Right. And that's where and this is where they start, you know, like you have to build trust. Right. So it would be one of those things where you get Republicans that do the right thing. You don't go after them in their reelection efforts or you you try to help them with other things that they need for their districts. Right. So their legislation that it moves more easily. Who knows? I mean, I'm not that's not I'm not him. Right. So yeah. I don't know what kind of deals or how they go about um you know, collaborating and building trust amongst each other. But I certainly think that, you know, we saw what happened. Not even the Republicans trusted Bruce Rauner. So there was never going to be any movement on anything of consequence. This is like a major, major initiative. And there's also like a whole third party, like, uh, you know, PR campaign going on for this fair tax. And I think most voters are going to start to demand from their own legislators, Republicans included, to do that because most people don't fall in that 
top percentile, right? If 97% of people see some sort of either the status quo or a reduction in their taxes, they're going to want this to move forward. And there's 3% of the population that doesn't, right? So at the end of the day, who's going to win that? I think if they do this correctly and they try not to ram something through but legitimately work and and try to build these coalitions with the Republicans as well, that you just need a few, right? And uh, and I think that I, I'm certainly going to not going to speak for Jamie, but I feel like that's just the way he he operates is really trying to build a consensus. So we'll see. I think there's still a lot of he's got a pretty aggressive agenda that he wants to get through in a short amount of time and. There's only a, a certain window, too, where you have this ability to bring people together before they start getting a little uh, restless, yeah, right? Yeah, the honeymoon so, does not last it long. It doesn't last forever. But well, I think so far it looks so good. It looks pretty good. Yeah, I gave Ram a three-month honeymoon. I just want you to know that. Did it even last three, that long? <laughs> he gave three months. He got a lot, I always tell people this. He got sworn in in May, and it wasn't until I heard his budget address in August. I said, that's it. I'm, so that's three months. I think he'd consider his honeymoon like right now, finally. He's like, okay, now I'm not running for office, and now not everybody hates me anymore, right? So we'll see. Yeah, that's his honeymoon. All right, Susanna Mendoza, it's always fun talking to you. She's the yeah, state controller and uh, we both survived, you know, a little bumps on the road and here we are. Sorry, right. I said it on election night, you know, there's um, as, as difficult as it is to, you know, go through these challenges. Um, the people of Chicago every single day go through like way worse things than you or I have. So they always seem to pick themselves up and move forward. And this life is about moving forward. So we just be thankful for what we do have. Absolutely. I agree. couldn't agree with you more on that last point. Susanna Mendoza, it's always a blast talking to you. And I know you'll be back real soon. All right. Thanks so much, Ben. All right. Very good. good luck, man. Woohoo. You're back. <laughs> I Love am it. back. Take care, Susanna Mendoza. This has been the Mendoza Report. Thanks, Susanna. Save on Cox Internet when you add Cox Mobile and get fiber-powered internet at home and unbeatable 5G reliability on the go. So whether you're playing a game at home yes, cool. or attending one live, no! you can do more without spending more. Learn how to save at cox.com slash internet. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial cable. Cox Mobile runs on the network with unbeatable 5G reliability as measured by Ookla LLC in the U.S. to H2023. Results may vary, not an endorsement. Other restrictions apply.